0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right, the podcast here at Family Vision Media. Go to FamilyVisionMedia.org for more, especially on homeschooling resources, especially on worldview resources. That's what we're here for. So FamilyVisionMedia.org. I have with me today a good friend who I love to watch on Real America's Voice, Amanda Head, the founder of The Hollywood Conservative. She's also a co-host at Real America's Voice, one of my favorite TV people ever. Amanda, thanks for coming on.
1: No, oh, Thank you, Stacey. I'm glad to be here.
0: I'm glad you're here because who better to help us understand what's going on. I wanted to start off with kind of a tech social media discussion with you. Elon Musk is like a topic on my show every night. I literally have to talk about him every night because there's some new development. He's the best new reality TV show we never knew we needed. And (laughs) lately, there's been this discussion. And by lately, I mean, since he literally took things over last Thursday, that because he's loosened controls and he's in charge now that white supremacists and people who like to use racial slurs are increasing in number and they have control of the platform. I don't think that's true. It sounds like a narrative to me. What do you make of it?
1: Yeah, you know, as you and I discussed a moment ago, this is one of those situations where Democrats would love to be able to say, see, we told you so. We told you that if we didn't stifle your voice, if we didn't suppress your opinion That hate speech would run rampant. In fact, this is a group of Twitter accounts who are really just kind of playing a game of chicken with Twitter. And I don't even know how many of Elon Musk's ideas and principles and rules have even been implemented into the platform yet anyway. So many of these coding principles are left over from the Agrawal days. These are left over. This is like trying to pick apart the swamp, right? Twitter is a huge entity with thousands upon thousands of employees who each have their own job. But all of these foundational elements of Twitter that have been a part of the mechanism of Twitter for so long to suppress speech, but yet you've got these group of people who are wanting to push the limits to see how far... They can push this algorithm when, in fact, look, we know that there are racists in the world. We know that there are racists in our country. We know that there are racists on Twitter. But for Democrats and for liberals and progressives, taking up the mantle that because there has been some perceived alleviation of speech suppression on Twitter The idea that that is spurning racism on Twitter is absolutely ludicrous. But again, this is one of those stories where Democrats are like, oh, this is convenient. Let's run with this. Maybe this will help a little.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because there's so much fear on the left that their beloved Twitter that they control and they literally direct the thought processes of millions of Americans that they won't be able to do that anymore. And so they've enjoyed this powerful platform Which it's actually just a minuscule amount of Americans. Like there are so many Americans running around, Amanda. Sometimes I wonder if I was to just jump up on a shopping cart in the middle of the grocery store one day and announce really loudly, can you just raise your hand if you're not on Twitter and see if most of the people would raise, you know, they kind of look up from their shopping. You know, Amanda, I think it would be the majority of the people if I was in the Sam's Club, if I was at Walmart, if, you know, everywhere I go, I just did that. Of course, I would eventually get put onto like the bowels of the Internet as some kind of crazy person. But I just want to know if the numbers we've heard of are correct. But there was another aspect of the story. And I don't know if you saw this, Amanda, but yesterday it came out. And this was, of course, when I say it came out, Elon Musk tweeted that he now has proof that they were indeed using the wrong numbers to give to him as to what they had in the way of true users versus bots. And he has an email communication from one of their executive leadership to prove it. Now, he fired them, and I think he's going to use this to try to claw back some of their separation agreement amounts, like these bonuses, these parachutes they put in place for themselves. Isn't it interesting that they would intentionally hide the true nature of the business, even though they stood to make such a huge windfall financially?
1: Yeah, and you know, this is one of those things that at least certain aspects of it would typically fall under the Securities and Exchange Commission platform. You are essentially defrauding advertisers. You are blowing up numbers in an effort to force advertisers to pay X amount of dollars to advertise on your platform. And firing those people is fine. But also, let's not forget, Elon Musk paid $40 billion for this platform, and therefore, was that an overblown price point for him to purchase it to begin with? But you were talking about, you know, Democrats sphere And I just think about, I used to say that my husband loves long goodbyes. My mother does too. Phone with my mother or my husband. You know, I'm like, oh, I got to run to the studio. I got to go. And then it's like, well, I hope you have a wonderful day. Tell your husband that we hope that he has a great afternoon. And don't forget to send me this. You know, it's long goodbyes. And now they're Twitter goodbyes because you have all of these liberals on Twitter leaving the platform. Dianara, three days later after what has already been a long goodbye, still there. But here's the thing, Democrats on Twitter, I don't know if <laughs> in their heart of hearts they are fearful that they are going to get censored on Twitter because I think that it's pretty apparent to anyone that we're not the side who censors people and tries to suppress ideas. I think what they are fearful is that no other and better ideas can now be aired out on the platform, that their ideas will become obsolete. Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. It's not just the suppression of the Biden laptop and the things that were suppressed on Twitter or people's Twitter accounts were censored or taken down or whatever. That essentially, at the root of it, is what it is. It's a marketplace of ideas and allowing better ideas to prevail. Now we have a platform where it seems that at least so far and hopefully for the future, the left and the right are going to be on even ground and it's going to be an even playing field. But again, back to what you were saying, which I find remarkably true, is that Twitter's not the real world. Yeah. If you go out the general population, did you see blank on Twitter? They're going to say, I'm not on Twitter. Stacey, you know what it's like on Twitter. We have our favorite accounts that we follow and we see, you know, typically because of the algorithms, we see the same stories over and over But Twitter is remarkably small compared to the population of the globe. It just feels big. And I have tried to really limit my exposure to Twitter. I know that you're a believer, and there was a verse that I read a couple months ago that really kind of hit home with me, evil communication corrupts good manners. And when you look into the meaning behind that scripture, it it talks about, you know, things that can affect our spirit and things that kind of deplete our spirit the content that we consume on twitter the movies that we watch the music that we listen to the people we hang around with are those things beneficial to our spirit and to the kingdom or are they depleting our spirit and so i've tried to actually kind of limit my exposure to that stuff working in politics obviously you can't limit all of it but i've tried to just limit myself to it knowing that yes of course it is not the real world but it's a new and interesting day on twitter and i you know my co-host john solomon a situation that probably would have never happened if it weren't for Elon Musk. John put out a story. It was censored. Someone, it may have even been cat turd or someone random on Twitter, tagged Elon Musk and said, this story is getting suppressed. And then the next day it was back up. And it wouldn't have happened under Praag- Agrawal. And you see people on Twitter who are like, hey, I haven't been here for, certainly unlocked. Great to see you. So it, it is a great day and it's a great era for the First Amendment I just, again, am trying to limit my exposure to it. And Stacey, I'm sure you feel the same way. You get kind of overwhelmed by all the negativity, I'm sure.
0: I do. And you know what, Amanda, the point that you just made about how scripturally we're supposed to limit our exposure to things like that, it was a few years ago because I used to spend a lot of time on Twitter. And it was because I wanted to grow my platform, right? You need a good Twitter following. That's what you're always told if you're in radio, if you're in television, if you're in any kind of media, they say, you know, how many followers do you have on Twitter? And so I went from, you know, 400 to 12,000 to, you know, 30,000. And I remember getting up to 87, 88,000. And I thought, oh, wow, I might finally crack 100,000 because when you host on radio, you know, having a big following like 300,000 is what you really want. And I just can't make it there because... Three or four years ago, they basically started suppressing my account. I had actually tagged at Twitter and at support because I was getting some really strong hate messages, like, you know, vile kind of stuff that I just was like, this is so disturbing. And I would block the person and they would just start another account and say, I'm back and I'll never stop following you. So I would tag Twitter support. Well, what they did in response to that was they just limited my reach so that, you know, fewer people could see me. And they have to this day, like I haven't seen any change in the algorithm This go round when he first announced Elon announced he was going to buy Twitter. It was like someone had taken the rubber bands off my account and people were like, oh, I haven't seen you in ages. I'm so glad you're still here. And I'm like, I've been here the whole time. So I, I mean, I used to tweet probably I'd say 18 tweets a day minimum. Now I'm at like three or four or five tweets because no one sees what I tweet. But also because you tweet out 18 stories a day, you find a lot of trolls hitting you and then you feel like you need to respond. And then you're sitting there all day instead of looking at my husband or, you know, rubbing my dog or, you know, watching a decorating show to kind of decompress. I'm on Twitter having these slap fights with what now amount to bots. I think they might have once been real human beings. Yeah. So I have limited my exposure there. But that also means. When the big Twitter purge happened, when President Trump was booted off, you know, some people lost hundreds of thousands of people. I lost about 20,000 off of my account and went down to the low 70s. And um, I've just gotten back up to, well, I was at 73.9. Now I'm at 72.8. So, you know, I fluctuate around the low 70s. And it seems like I can't break free from that. And I think what I have to do is I kind of have to go back to posting 18 times a day. And the choice for me goes right back to the scripture you quoted Whenever I think, okay, I need to up the engagement here, the first thing that comes to me is I feel a little check. But if you do that, that means you're going to have to sit on this thing. You're going to have to babysit this thing. You're going to have to really respond, and you're going to have to dig back in. And I actually like dealing with people in the real world better than I like dealing with people on Twitter. I know that it's important for us to have a free marketplace of ideas, and I'm glad that Elon Musk plans to restore that. But I don't know if we can ever go back to those, you know, can we ever go back, Amanda? Can we ever go back to those sweet days of early Twitter?
1: I don't know. Honestly, I sound like such a boomer when I say this. And I say boomer, and I don't mean it as a derogatory term. I blame the advent of the Internet. Look, you know, there's so much information out there on the Internet, and it can be used for such wonderful reasons and as such a valuable tool But, I mean, I know that you've seen the statistics as far as the percentage of the Internet that centers around pornography and child exploitation. And the sad thing is that it's actually most of the Internet. You may not ever actually see it because, you know, you're using a certain search engine or certain filters or whatever the case is. But the Internet, I think, is kind of the beginning of a downward slope for American society. I do think that though the Internet is never... Away, and we can never go back to the sweet glory days of like 1995 when <sighs> we had factory boys, but we still didn't have the internet.
0: <laughs> um, mm, yeah, good times. We had Brittany, but no internet. <laughs> that's right.
1: But you know, we can't go back to that. But I think that you're seeing a growing awareness. And Stacy, your mom, right?
0: Oh yeah. Yep. Three times.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you know, this is going to be the parental rights election. This is the Mama Bear and the Papa Bear election when parents have finally woken up and that was the silver lining of COVID was parents were finally privy to the things taught to their children. And it's not just that it's also the fact that with kids home, they saw the spiral eyeballs children as they were staring at screens for 10 hours a day. And so I think that that was another silver lining of COVID that some parents started to realize, okay, kids, you know, on a screen all day is not a good idea. And my husband and I i was up speaking um, at a women's group in Central Valley, California, in Visalia, and we were staying with a friend of ours who was actually my matron of honor. She and her husband have three kids, and they go to a Christian school there. And the Central Valley, for people who don't know, most people know like the Bakersfield area, or they know a general around about you know, where that is. But it's Central Valley, California. It's where so much of the agriculture and the dairy comes from. But it's a wonderful area, and it's definitely much more red than, like, here in Los Angeles. One of her kids, her oldest, I believe, is 12, and they just go outside and play. That's all they do. They play in their neighborhood with their friends. They have a pool, like most people in California do, and their kids don't have cell phones yet. And I asked my friend Crystal, I was like, when are you going to get Hunter a cell phone? And she said, I don't know. She said he hasn't even asked for one none of his friends have phones. Some people have switches. They have like a Nintendo switch where they play video games, but mm-hmm. they don't have phones. And so it's so much a part of the culture. And I think that you are starting to see parents wake up to the fact that the internet is not necessarily a good thing when you're so young and you don't know how to limit yourself. I just picture like a Hollywood celebrity going into a party where there are mountains of cocaine. You go in and you're like, whoa crazy cocaine and the celebrity just like goes nuts and then they're like "Mm, maybe this is not such a great idea at least that's what I would like to think that they do but you know we had a free-for-all we had a heyday with the internet in the beginning and now I think a lot of people are starting to realize ah this is not the healthiest thing and so you know especially with respect to politics I think it's a good thing that we are able to share stories and like you with your twitter platform You know, when you post so often, yeah, you have to babysit it. But on the other hand, Dennis Prager told me one time, he said, if you let the praise go to your head, then the criticism will go to your heart. So I basically started a practice of posting and ghosting. I don't like comments very often. I don't reply to comments very often. I basically, you know, it's like that gif of the explosion behind the girl walking away. That's kind of what I do. And then live my life because I found just like you. When you're getting into these Twitter arguments with people, it not only frustrates you, but I found that I would snap at my husband. And I'm like, this is not healthy. There's this digital world where I'm probably arguing with a nine-year-old over something. You know, I have no idea who this person is. And it's actually affecting the way that I treat people who are physically with me. So that was kind of the moment for me where I said, "Eh, (laughs) I'm out. You know, but like you said, you do have to kind of engage and you have to post and have a presence online. But at the end of the day, as a believer, you know, our kingdom purpose is what reigns supreme. Ultimately, that's what matters the most and our marriages and our children and our communities. And that's what we can affect the most. It's not this fantasy world over on Twitter where, you know, we're arguing with strangers. And I just I hate that that's what so much of our society has devolved into. You know, whenever I argue with liberals, their point and I have my point and usually a lot of times at least my liberal friends I can say well look the truth may is somewhere in between and usually you kind of settle on that and that's where I wish someday that will be the truth again.
0: Yeah I just co-sign and second everything you said. The posting and ghosting, that's kind of what I do now. I don't do as many conversations. If someone says I love this or I agree, I'll go back and forth a little bit during my radio show time but I don't spend as much time on there. I do go and read stories. I do, you know, see what the news is, but I don't do as much interaction. Posting ghosts is a good way for me to keep in my mind that I'm using it as a bullhorn to put information out, not as a phone to have right. a conversation, not as a platform to go back and forth. I wanted to also catch you on something I know you discuss a lot on TV and on your program with John. I'm dying to know what you think is going to happen. Obviously, we don't know what will happen, but we can look at previous elections where there have been Republican waves and we've seen what they've done afterwards. And it's not always been their best work, the GOP. I'm definitely a Republican, but I can criticize our people. Oh, yeah. Amanda, what do you think they're going to do? It looks like they're going to take both houses and it's going to be a little bit of a mandate to stop the Biden agenda. Do you think they're strong enough to do it this time?
1: So, okay, I'll start with what do I think's going to happen. So I will start off with a few items that I learned last week. We had Robert Kahaley on the show from Trafalgar Group and let us in on a few things. Number one is kind of a dirty secret of politics, which, Stacey, I'm sure you know, but people who don't work in politics probably don't know this. Bowling up until about a month before the election is meant to influence voters. It's meant to sway voters. Um, that's why you see so many of the Democrats ahead for a long time, even in races that we, you know, Republicans are going to take the seat. That's why you're starting to see a lot in these polls. The Republicans are starting to pull away from the Democrat. I do think we'll take between 32 and 40 seats in the House. That's my hope. I don't have confidence in KMAC, uh, Kevin McCarthy, is what we call her. Uh, He doesn't know that, so hopefully
0: he's not listening. Uh, (laughs) K-Mac, it's uh, a nice short name for Kevin McCarthy. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. So I don't have a ton of confidence in him. I like you. I vote Republican. And I mean, I guess every once in a while I vote for a Libertarian. But for the most part, I vote Republican. That doesn't mean that I believe every Republican who I'm voting for. But I don't know if you saw this document, this memo that was sent out a few weeks ago it was in partnership with Conservative Partnership Institute, CPI, and the Freedom Caucus. And the Freedom Caucus put out this memo that basically put Republicans on notice as far as their committee assignments and, you know, Kevin McCarthy's commitment to America or whatever. I hope (laughs) that Republicans have learned their lesson. I certainly hope that they have figured out that they cannot continue to do what they have been doing. And that was one of the things in this memo from the Freedom Caucus. They said they're not going to continue to operate the way that we have operated for the last X number of years. You know, the Freedom Caucus started out as, I think, eight members in 2014, and now it has just exploded in its membership. And these are people who espouse my values, not the Republican Party as a whole, but my values as far as putting America first and not starting endless wars and securing our border. Yes, we can be benevolent as a nation and we can let in a certain number of immigrants a year. But if we still have veterans homeless on the streets of Los Angeles that I see every day, not a single person come into this country until we take care of those people. So I think that Republicans are absolutely on notice that they have to start actually doing what they say they are going to do. And I just have a little bit more faith that that is going to happen.
0: Yep, we'll take more prayer on our part and also us emailing them, us calling them out on social media, and us maybe stomping up to Capitol Hill and going into that Rayburn office building and saying, hey, you know, I'd mm-hmm. like to see my congressman. I'd like to talk to him. And for the senators, I think our attitude has to be, Amanda, that all of the senators who claim the GOP mantle. They represent Amanda Head and Stacey Washington and John Solomon and every single one of us. Yeah. They represent us all. Yeah. So instead of me saying, Well, my senators are Senator Blunt and Senator Hawley, yes, they are. And they're the ones I can get to a little bit easier because they're frequently in Missouri. But if I'm on Capitol Hill and I have an issue with something that Senator Romney is doing and he's a Republican, I should be going to his office and saying, Senator Romney, You're not representing the Republican agenda on this. And I'd like to know why. I'd like to know why you continue to run as a Republican if you don't believe in the party platform and the agenda. If you don't want to follow the leadership of the Republican Party. Can you explain to me why you don't support closing the border or whatever the issue might be? We have to start helping them to understand how important every one of their votes is because we have too many in the Senate who will cross over and basically eliminate the majority that you just predicted, which I think your numbers are actually spot on. You're giving a conservative estimate there, and I think that's good. The numbers that we're going to have possibly, you know, in January of next year will be greatly diminished by rhinos crossing over to vote with the Democrats to recodify Roe or or, or any number of crazy things, mostly the spending they like to cross over on, but social issues as well. We need these rhinos to understand that they don't belong. Just be a Democrat. Just run as a Democrat so we know who you are.
1: Yeah. See you later. We don't care. We're not going to miss you. (laughs) It's like a Twitter goodbye. Go on. Truly, you don't even need to announce your departure. Just go. We have absolutely
0: no use for you. None at all. Well, I always love it when I can chat with you. I know the last time I saw you in person, you were here in Missouri, doing an event at View 17. And it was so nice to see you and to sit in the audience. And Dr. Gina was doing her show right after you finished. And it was just such a wonderful opportunity. I look forward to seeing you again. Maybe it'll be DC. I'm not sure where, but I'm really excited about what possibly can be done by a GOP majority in both houses to slow down the Democrats and President Biden in their destruction of our country. And especially just the openness of faith from people like you and others who are kind of finally saying, look, this is who I am. I just love that so much. And I'm so glad that we're all in this fight together.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, (laughs) I just want to offer a piece of advice to people. I know That in our daily lives now with politics being so polarized, it's easy to just not talk about it. You can't do that. We are not in a place anymore where we can just let bad ideas slide. When you feel like you can't talk to your friends, when you feel like you can't talk to your neighbors, feel like you can't talk to the parents of the kids at your kid's school about politics because they're going to chew or shame you or yell at you. That's a form of psychological suppression. That should make you angry. That should, for lack of better terms, piss you off. Again, we are not in a place where we can be silent anymore especially in this last week leading up to midterms, talk to all of the people in your orbit and encourage them to vote, even if they vote Democrat, because here's the thing, when you go and you vote, regardless of who you vote for, you're now invested, you're now watching and paying attention to what's going to happen. And even if they vote Democrat, when they start seeing the destruction of Democrat values and legislation and policies, they're going to change their mind maybe the next time around.
0: You're so right. So this is not the time to shrink back. We have to be as courageous as lions and as bold and fierce as lions representing the truth. And that touches every aspect of our lives. Politics is just one channel. We can't think of it as the whole thing. It's one channel. But speaking the truth in that area, speaking the truth in your personal life, in your life with friends, in your life with your children, every area in your life at work, speaking that truth and living it out. and doing it in a friendly way. There's nothing better. That's why we're Americans, because we get to do this. North Koreans can't do it. Chinese people can't do it. I could go down the list. There's at least 100 countries on this planet that they can't do that. We can and we need to keep doing it. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I'm so glad we got to connect up. I look forward to seeing what you're doing in the new year. But until then, blessings and thanks for joining me today, Amanda.
1: Same to you, Stacey. Thank you
0: so much. All right, that was Amanda Head. She is the founder of The Hollywood Conservative. I've linked that website in the show notes. Also, she has a wonderful poll that I will link in the show notes as well from Real America's Voice. You can watch that coverage there. Check her out online. I've also linked her Twitter feed. All right, we have more Stacey on the Right for You coming at you in another podcast soon. God bless.